Let's ask God to help us with his word. Almighty God, we thank you for your gospel and we pray now that we would know its truth and power, your truth and power. And knowing the truth and power of your gospel, we would find encouragement to persevere and to rejoice in our Lord Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, well, as everybody's actually said, it's been an extraordinary couple of weeks. Plans, especially travel plans, like going to New Zealand on your long service leave, completely gone. Jobs we felt secure, threatened or lost. Empty shelves in supermarkets and fights in the aisles, something we have never seen before. Our meetings gone online all because of a virus, a virus to which we have no immunity, a novel virus that no one saw coming that can threaten with death. This virus has brought disruption, death and fear as we feel ourselves losing control of our lives individually and collectively, as we sense how fragile our lives are, how tenuous our hold on the good life so often we have taken for granted. Oh, some of us may have sensed that fragility before when labour didn't go the way we'd hoped or planned or when our husband or wife or child got sick or we were victims of random evil. And that sense of fragility is unsettling, isn't it? It's unsettling to have the routine of your life changed by forces you never anticipated unsettling to be told that there is a threat lurking in a handshake or a hug, unsettling to think that you have to keep your distance from your grandchildren or keep your children distant from your parents, unsettling, fearful to have to recognise that despite all your training, your planning, your resources, you are not in control. And there are forces out there that can take from you what is most dear to you in a moment or in a week or two. The people we meet in Mark 4 and 5 had lost control. They were also facing disruption and destruction. The fishermen amongst Jesus' disciples, despite all their skill developed over a lifetime of making their living on the Sea of Galilee, were now overwhelmed by the storm they were experiencing, unable to keep the boat afloat, fearful of losing their lives. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They shouted over the noise of the storm. The demon-possessed man had lost control of himself, been reduced to rags, homeless, outcast among the tombs, and his society had lost control of him, unable any longer to subdue or chain him. Oh, the woman with the flow of blood had lost control of her future. She'd been impoverished and marginalised, made unclean by her bleeding in a society that excluded the unclean. And she'd tried what she could. She'd spent all her money seeking a cure. But her efforts could not restore her health or her acceptance, could not give her life back again. And Jairus, for all his social position and wealth, a synagogue ruler, was not able to do the one thing every parent wants to do, not able to keep his beloved daughter safe. Can you recognise yourself in these people? 
They are living our fears, overwhelmed by events that threaten death, lives thrown into chaos by forces too great for them, a life diminished, moved to the margins by a sickness for which there is no cure, confronted with our powerlessness to prevent what we most fear. Yet Jesus is there in their stories, their lives, and he's not overwhelmed or powerless. He rescues and restores. He is, 438, so unconcerned by the threat of this storm that he sleeps. And when roused with a word, peace, be still, he silences the storm. Under his word, creation becomes again a place that supports, not threatens, life. And do you feel the power of that? If your imagination's a little low, well, go outside and try silencing the wind. You don't have to go for a hurricane, just a gentle breeze. Try with a word. And after you've tried, you'll see why they say, who then is this? When the demon-possessed man runs at Jesus, he falls at Jesus' feet. The demons acknowledge that Jesus is in charge. They call him son of the Most High and beg his permission to go to the pigs for they cannot resist his command to leave the man. Jesus grants their wish and removes their threat from the area forever as the pigs plunge to their death. The man is left restored, restlessness gone. He now sits clothed and in his right mind and he is sent home, no longer homeless, sent home with a good message of mercy. But the witnesses are terrified, verse 15, of this power. That enduring sickness, 12 years, Jesus had power to heal. We are fearful, aren't we? Fearful of infectious touch now. But Jesus had infectious wholeness. Just a touch and she was restored, not just to health but to her society. And by his word he overcame her fear and assured her that her healing was his gift, his gift to keep. And Jairus, that synagogue ruler, tested by delay, he received his daughter alive again when she was beyond all human help. The mourners at the house laughed at Jesus when he said the girl was not dead but sleeping, and we would have too, and then become angry at him for giving grieving parents false hope. Yet Jesus takes her lifeless hand and addresses her to Letha Kumi, little girl, arise, and she does. What is so fearful to us? Nature out of control. A disintegration of our personality we cannot resist. The chronic sickness we cannot cure. Death which robs us of those we love to whom our hearts are tied. What is so fearful to us? Jesus does not fear. They are all subject to him, subject to the rule of his word. Jesus is never at a loss, never in a situation that he cannot make good. And those whom he hears, those who come to him for help, need not fear. Jesus is very clear. He says to his disciples, why are you still afraid? Have you no faith? 
And to Jairus he says, do not fear, only believe. Trusting Jesus, we need not fear. That is still true. Trusting him, we need not fear. He's in control. There's nothing we experience, even a brush with an infected surface or a misdirected cough. There's nothing we experience that is not subject to him. But what does his power mean for us now? Uh, Reading this passage, uh, should you and I draw the conclusion that trusting Jesus, who is the same today as he was then, you need not fear because he'll stop you getting the coronavirus or trusting Jesus, you need not fear if you get it that he'll stop you getting really sick or that trusting Jesus, you need not fear because if it goes as badly as possible, he'll stop you from dying or even cause you to come back to life. Is that the conclusion we ought to draw? No. This part of God's word tells us that trusting Jesus, you need not fear whatever befalls you because Jesus is bigger and better than you imagine. Uh, These mighty works recorded in the gospel are not here to say Jesus did that for them then and he will do that certainly for you today. They're not there for that purpose. Yes, Jesus still hears our prayers and he can and will do whatever he wills. But these mighty works in the Gospels are signs, signs that point to Jesus' purpose, what he came to do, and signs revealing Jesus' person, who he is. Jesus started his public ministry in Mark 1, preaching the kingdom of God saying that the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God, the longed-for reign of God was at hand. Uh, The kingdom of God was a phrase that caught up in it all that was promised God's people in the Old Testament of the end time, that time when God would judge the world and remove from the world all evil. That time would be a time of peace and wholeness, of prosperity and security, a time of justice and righteousness when God's people would dwell in God's presence and never again be driven from his presence. It was the time when God would give his people new hearts, pour out his spirit on them, gather them from all the nations, raise the dead to undying life, a time when creation itself would be made new, a time people oppressed by injustice and violence oppressed by sickness and death, long for. Jesus was preaching that the kingdom was near because he was near. He was here and he was the king of God's kingdom now come amongst his people. Jesus' purpose was to bring that reign, to ensure that there would be a time when death would be no more, when all evil that diminishes and destroys life would be gone, when all his people would enjoy peace and wholeness. These mighty works in Mark 4 and 5 are signs pointing us to the truth that Jesus is the one who brings God's reign and that to experience the goodness of that reign, we need to repent and put our trust in Jesus. That is, we need to stop trusting ourselves and running our own lives our own way 
and start trusting Jesus and letting him run our lives by doing what he says. But to bring that reign, the cause of disorder, the cause of death had first to be dealt with. And that cause was our sin. The sin of the first man, Adam, and all our subsequent sins. Sin, where we, like Adam, choose not to believe what God says or follow his instruction, but instead choose to believe the lies we want to believe about ourselves and God and use God's gifts, the hands he's made, the mind he's given us, to defy him. To deal with sin, Jesus resolutely, purposefully set his face to go to Jerusalem, not to stay in Galilee. It's because Jesus came to deal with sin that Jesus' death dominates the gospel story. You see, if Jesus was just a teacher of techniques that modern people love, techniques to let you control the universe for your happiness, he wouldn't have had to go and die on the cross. If Jesus was just a faith healer whose purpose was to make people healthy and wealthy now, he wouldn't have gone to die on the cross. If Jesus just wanted to be a source of power we could tap into when we wished, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. If Jesus had in mind the establishing of an earthly kingdom just for the believing Jewish people of his day, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. But Jesus did go to the cross deliberately. He taught repeatedly that he had come to be crucified and to rise again, that it was God's will that he die and rise again. Beginning in Mark 8, it says he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And as they keep walking to Jerusalem, he repeats that. Mark 9, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and when he is killed after three days, he will rise. And as he draws near to Jerusalem, he repeats it again. See, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise. Son of Man is Jesus' way of talking about himself. He resolutely journeys to Jerusalem to die despite the dismay of his followers. And when he has arrived in Jerusalem, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he contemplated draining the cup of God's wrath, of God's judgment on our sin, he did not turn away from God's purpose for him, even though he felt its horror. Abba Father, he said, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And then he said, yet not I what I will, but why what you will. Now why was Jesus determined to go to the cross? It was because he knew that his death would be, as he said, the ransom, the price paid, 
that would set his people free from condemnation for their sins, set his people free from death. Oh, he knew, as he said at the Last Supper, that his death would bring the forgiveness of sin that is part of the new covenant, the new relationship that is brought into being with God through his death. Oh, he knew in the garden that his death would turn aside God's wrath from us as he drained in death God's just anger, his just judgment at our rebellion. Jesus knew that his death and rising would establish an eternal kingdom, the eternal kingdom promised by God. That day when he would dwell again amongst us, when he would dwell with us and we will be his people and God himself will be with us and be our God. That day when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more for the former things have passed away. Jesus knew that his death and rising would establish an eternal kingdom for all people in every age, people of every nation and race and language who turn and put their trust in Jesus, people beyond the people of his own day. All oh, the people of his own day would have longed for Jesus just to stay with them and heal their diseases and rescue them from overwhelming forces. But Jesus, who could silence a storm by his word, who could have blown his enemies away with his word, did not. He went purposefully to Jerusalem to die. It's because Jesus stuck to his purpose to be the king of God's kingdom that you and I need not fear today nor any day, not even the day of our death. He is now the living Saviour who is gathering his people into an eternal kingdom. The living Saviour who gives to all who trust him his spirit to help us grow to be like him in loving the Father and doing his will, whatever our circumstances, to bring honour to our Father through honouring Jesus with our trust and obedience in all things and all times. Jesus is the living Saviour who is Lord of all events and all times for the good of his followers. And while he can heal whom he will, deliver from danger whom he will, sometimes for your good, because he knows the circumstances in which your faith will most bring glory to our Father, sometimes he will let the ship sink. He will not return you to a right mind. He will let you suffer sickness and not heal you. He will let you die. Let you die now to raise you at the last day. Jesus is the living almighty Saviour who will make even your death serve his good purpose for you. For he's prepared something better for you than more of this life of having your plans in this life fulfilled. He has secured for believers the new heaven and earth where death will be no more. And he will wipe away every tear from your eye. You and I need to grasp that. There may come a time in the months ahead 
where you long to just put out your hand and touch, as it were, the hem of his garment and be healed, where you long for him to say to someone you love, Arise, when you will ask, If then, why not now? If for them, why not for me? Or my husband, or wife, or my child? You will long for that. And some cruel person might say, if you just had enough faith. Even though in these gospel stories we see all those rescued by Jesus only had enough faith to ask him, to reach out to him. You see, you need to be convinced that the purpose of these stories is to show you Jesus, who he is and what he came to do, not to promise you that he will do the same for you today that the purpose of these stories is to show you what you do need to know, that Jesus is God's king who can bring all who trust him into God's eternal kingdom, the almighty, kind, the living king and lord whose purpose is bigger and better than giving you more of life in this world, a world marked by sin and rebellion against God and death, a world of groaning and tears, a world of disorder and destruction. And alive forever, Jesus is always the King, the Saviour, who is close to his people and hears their cry, who is close to you today if you're a believer, and who hears you. The disciples were wrong to think that Jesus did not care for them because they could not see him caring, sharing their distress and fear. Jairus had to resist the temptation to think that because Jesus didn't answer his plea when Jairus thought Jesus needed to, that Jesus had left it too late. Your living Lord is not asleep, never overwhelmed, He's not tired out or resentful of people coming to him. His timing is never wrong and he is never confronted with a situation too difficult for him. His word is never powerless to do what he intends. Jesus is the living saviour who always keeps his promises. So in this storm, when sudden disaster threatens to overturn your life, let his powerful word ring in your ears. His promises, know them. His promise to give rest to all who come to him. His promise that he is with us always and will never leave us or forsake us. His promise that he will raise up all who trust him from the dead to eternal life. His promise that nothing, not life or death, any sickness, will ever separate us from his love. Let his powerful word ring in your ears and let that word give you comfort, peace and courage. And if you do not yet know Jesus but are drawn to him in your need, drawn like that woman because you think that in Jesus there may be healing and hope, Know that his same powerful word beckons you into relationship with himself. Did you notice in that story that Jesus stopped? And despite the impatience of the apostles, he singled out this woman 
who had touched him. He singled her out so she could hear, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. With that word, she knew that Jesus wasn't a distant, impersonal source of power, someone of whom she should be afraid. No, she knew with that word that he was the Lord who knew her and who gave her freely wholeness and peace, the peace of being loved and included in the family of the Almighty King, whose word ruled heaven and earth. As you come to Jesus, that is the peace Jesus calls you to know, the peace he gives to all who put their faith in him, who believe his gospel that he's died for their sins and risen with authority to judge and to forgive. It is the peace of being forgiven by your almighty judge and included in Jesus' family, his people forever, loved by their heavenly Father. In our world, where you feel again your frailty, your powerlessness in the face of destructive, disruptive forces beyond your control, listen to the powerful word of the crucified and risen King. Trust him for what he does promise you. Forgiveness of all your sins, new life, a relationship with the true and living almighty creator as your father, an eternal life where you will know his love forever, where you will know and be known. Trust him for what he promises you and know peace. And knowing that peace by God's mercy, share like that man restored to wholeness, to his right mind. Share with your neighbours what Jesus has done for you and what he can do for them. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your gospel and that it reveals to us your Son, our Lord Jesus, and that here in his word we see his power, his power to bring peace, his power to give life, his power to forgive and to bring us into your family forever. Help us to see Jesus, to hear his word, to trust him, and know your peace and love and be strengthened by your spirit to share that peace and love with all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.